live with our 86th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, number 86. We're just rolling right along. We've got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, we're joined by Rohan. Uh, we'll do introductions shortly uh, for him. Um, but this week I've been in San Francisco, did the code review workshop on Saturday morning at B-Sides SF. I'm trying to avoid RSA because now all the suits showed up. And yeah, that's, that's about how I feel about that. Um, the workshop was interesting. We tried to do like a three hour uh, condensed version of, you know, secure code review. Um, I like, I was happy with the results and the, the interaction and people being there. It's just a lot of data to actually cover and try and get through. So I, I didn't feel like the, the results that we pulled out of it were as refined as what we get in the two day course. Ken, it was just, it was still useful. And I think people still took stuff away from it, but you know, definitely having more time to do code review is always a good thing. I, it just taught me that again, right? So. There's there's no way we can give that full course in that short a period yeah. of time and for it to be like everything to come through. It's like you get the basic, maybe maybe the basic overview of like the table. You get like, it's like reading the table of contents of a book to me and then yeah. not actually reading any of the chapters. <clears throat> That's the best way I could explain that. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it was like, oh yeah, and here's all these checklists, go, right? <laughs> Or like, you look at authentication authorization, you know, auditing. Like I was like, oh crap, yeah. Uh, all right, we'll pick one of those and then let's let's do that, right? It was just, yeah. But but it was fun. It was still good. Like besides SF is a pretty cool conference, all things considered. Um, they have it at a, a like a movie theater, right? I don't know if you knew that. So no. is that yeah. the one that has like? Does it have like a, a video games as well? Attached mm -hmm. to the movie theater, yeah. Like, like yeah. I mean, a lot. Of, not like just like a little area, like a lot, like a two-story, multi-level. Oh, well, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I didn't see a two-level thing there. So is it, it might. Is, it's the Metreon. It, it's okay. right next. It's it's right next to Moscone. It's uh, the one I'm thinking of. I probably just don't remember the layout correctly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's. I, I mean, so Kelly Robinson, who we had, we had on a couple weeks ago, was on the. Uh, you know, she was one of the speakers, was talking about 2FA and Authy. And, like, she's in the IMAX theater presenting. And so the slides are massive. Like, <laughs> the emojis are bigger than people. You know what I mean? It was just That's like, awesome. holy crap. <laughs> but, it, it, yeah, it was cool. Uh, but it's super comfy, right? You know, you're sitting in movie theater seats for talks. And it was good. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Get a nice I'm I'm, the problem with that is like after a lunch, I would fall asleep or start, start to fall asleep. I would have the hardest time like eating lunch and then going sitting in a comfy chair in a movie theater setting. Man, that's that's dangerous. That's dangerous for me. Well, you know, at least you'd get a nap in or whatever, right? <laughs> <At> times. <laughs> yeah. Man. I mean, there well, was like you're having a good time. Yeah, yeah, I, there was some good talks that came out. I mean, Clint had, did a panel again on DevOps or DevSecOps with Asta and, you know, uh, kind of that normal crew that they talked about war stories of trying to implement security at different organizations. Um, that was good. 
that, that mental health hackers that I was tweeting out about was really interesting as well. They had a, so they, they had a couple of people that were into the industry, but they actually had a, a doctor who specializes in psychology and psychiatry, right? That was there talking about mental health. And so yeah, I posted some resources on Twitter. Man, that slide you sent me, yeah, that hit home too hard. It was like, where was it? What'd you, it was like, um, yeah, it said, it said, uh, burnout, emotional depletion, detachment, and cynicism, low personal achievement, depersonalization, depersonalization. And it shows like baby Yoda is the first year in InfoSec and old Yoda is the three years in InfoSec. And I'm like, man, yeah, it's yeah. home. It's hard not to be cynical, right? Like, and I know that I, I, I drive, I, I ride that line a lot of times. So, yeah. Well, anyway. you know me, man. The last time I had a burnout, I spent two and a half months <laughs> doing nothing, just going for long walks and watching Game of Thrones. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, self care is important, right? Self care yeah. is important. So, yeah, man. But yeah, yeah. So that I mean, there was a lot of good resources that came out of it. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of RSA. I mean, obviously, everybody's like, you know, the big discussion point now is the whole COVID nineteen fact that all the companies backed out because of the coronavirus and but there's still a ton of people down here right so yeah we'll see yeah. i mean yeah, life doesn't stop right so, yeah, i'm skeptical of the coronavirus because i feel like yes people have died but the numbers aren't quite what like the flu is at times. So I'm not as mm -hmm. afraid of the coronavirus as maybe I should be. I don't know. But yeah. 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 Anyways. Uh, uh, well, that's what I heard, right? Like talking to my kid's physician as they were saying, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a coronavirus, but influenza, you know, kills a lot of people too. And we don't <laughs> talk about it because we're used to it. Right. So yeah. But not to say I it shouldn't know. be like quarantine taken seriously, but yeah, like I don't yeah. know, just less. I'm not super concerned about. It. I've been flying, and I've seen people with masks on while I'm flying, and I'm like, all right, if that makes you feel more comfortable, I'm not gonna like whatever. But that's your thing. But yeah, I feel fine without a mask flying, so I'll be all right. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so we've gone to mental health and the coronavirus. So this is another episode of Absolute Absec. So. Absolute rambling. <laughs> yeah, absolute rand rambling by Seth and Ken. Um, so, uh, well, yeah, let's let's go ahead and introduce Rohan. Um, we'll dive in, and then we should get into that news story. Oh yes, yes, we should. But yeah, let's introduce Rohan first, and then we can talk about the critical PayPal vulnerabilities. So, right. So Ro Rohan Joeshi, Joeshi. Hopefully, I'm saying that correctly. Um, <laughs> awesome. He's a manager of AppSec at Paylocity. Hopefully, I'm also getting that right. Um, what's interesting about your background is it looks like you, you've gone from, um, essentially you, you did, you've done it all on like the, you went from the offensive side. It looks like to me anyways, um, just following your career progression, it looks like you did a lot of, I mean, there were, there, there it does appear like you did some, um, some sort of like, uh, testing internally, maybe that's blue team, but a lot of like, it looks like you are definitely, you have a background in, uh, hacking. And um, I thought that was uh, super interesting. Um, so that's definitely something we were, we're going to want to talk about um, the difference between the, you know, like going from offense to sort of a defense minded 
um, perspective. Um, I would, I tried to post your Twitter link by the way, and your Twitter account seems to be like, you don't use it at yeah, all. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, uh, too active on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, what's, what's going to be fun to talk about is like, I, I'm sure Paylocity is definitely, uh, obviously a, um, high visibility target. And so, you know, keeping that, that environment secure, I'm sure has a whole, whole host of challenges. Um, so I'm definitely excited to dig in and we've got this, uh, this new story I had posted, uh, to you all, um, to sort of like look at, uh, so yeah, I fig figured we could just start there, dig in and then go into like sort of your background after the, the news story. And then just talk about your day to day. Uh, that sounds good. So, so the way I started off in uh, InfoSec was a, a pure accident. Like, uh, and you know, based on my accent, you guys might have already figured out that you know I was born and raised back in India. So, um, my early access to technology was around like 2003 and 4. We got our first uh, personal computer with like 128 megs of RAM, 40 gigs of hard disk space. Uh, fun times, and. Back in the day, uh, not sure if you guys already know about this, but there was a social media platform called Orkut. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was big in the Latin American side and also the South Southeast Asian side. Uh, and this was like in competition with MySpace. And uh, I I got my account hacked. Uh, Your account got this, hacked. Yeah, my account got hacked. And I was like very brand new to everything PC. <laughs> so I, I started Googling stuff. Uh, trying to understand where did I click, what did I do, go back to my history, and eventually I figured out like what 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 the URL was, the phishing URL, like, where it was hosted, who was it registered against, and this person was really very naive to put their real name and phone number there, so I gave them a call. So wait, they <laughs> so the hacker? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't start like, their phone number on the, yeah. uh, the phishing page. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. And I, I was like, okay, this is. Uh, very weird and naive at the same time. Uh, so I get in touch with this person and they're like, oh, you found us, good. Uh, do you want to come work with us? And I was like, nope. <laughs> so essentially what they were trying to do is you know, they, it, it was a group uh, of people who were trying to uh, recruit people who had the skill set uh, to track them down. And you know, obviously we don't want to end up in the dark side of things. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think that is where I started uh, thinking about like, you know, going from phishing to writing like uh, key loggers, how do key loggers work and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, my my basic interest was largely around recon. Mm -hmm. And you know, when Google Maps, it really took off around that time, uh, we had this whole keyhole markup language uh, where you could you know look for flight status in real time. Uh, just lots of information out there. <laughs> Probably wouldn't want to get into the details, but uh, and, and that naturally led me into software development. And you know, if I, I am a developer by heart today, uh, and a security, uh, an AppSec person by profession, but my definitely my my heart is with the software development piece. So I started doing a lot of front-end development. Uh, you know, learned like uh, a little bit of VB, and then got like deep into .NET. And then uh, I I got my bachelor's in computer science. And then came over to the U.S., got my master's in InfoSec. I graduated from DePaul University here in Chicago. And uh, after I graduated, I started working for Pelocity as a QA security engineer. I mean, the title is like somewhat weird, uh, QA security engineer. But 
I was embedded in our QA automation team. And then uh, from there on, I started learning Python uh, and basically performing pen test against like using OS top 10, the ASVS, and tried to automate everything in the ASVS back in the day. Uh, got exposed to stuff like beautiful soup, web scraping, and uh, eventually uh, the company started growing, growing like crazy. And when I make a fair comparison on our growth rate from where, when I started and where we are today, uh, the amount of money we made every year, we make four times of the same amount every quarter today. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, yeah. So we experienced like exponential growth and uh, we went public. So naturally we had the need of having an info dedicated InfoSec team. So as a first person in the InfoSec team, I did a little bit of forensics, a little bit of SecOps, uh, instant response, uh, wrote, wrote up a couple of policies, and then eventually settled down in the AppSec space. <laughs> what a trajectory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so definitely half has a lot of things <laughs> because uh, it was just a need of the art and I just had to do it. So. Yeah, well, that, and that's pretty standard, right? You know, uh, well, not necessarily, you know, half-assing, but like, you know, just trying to stay ahead of what needs to be done. I, I, like, I'm interested in the whole QA security engineer title and position. What Was that like a, were you the first person in QA that had that uh, position or was there a team that did that? I, I mean, it's not super common, right? Like, I, yeah. I talk a lot about like unit tests and how we need security unit tests. It feels like that's what you were doing at Paylocity. So, like, you know, yeah, yeah. I think uh, in 2014 we went public, and that is exactly when we, you know, uh, went from being waterfall to agile. Uh, okay. And you know, when I joined Plasity, we were we were like hardcore waterfall shop, and uh, we had a dedicated QA automation team, like four or five people, and I was the fifth hire. Uh, and I was asked to um, secure the applications, right? So okay. basically, writing test cases and abuse cases and stuff. And that probably was my first exposure to Burp Suite. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I realized that, okay, uh, this is good. Uh, this is a good start to test something out. But if I had to test something at scale, I probably need to go back and do some kind of headless browsing. And, and that's where I you know, started working with like the Selenium framework uh, and then eventually went on to do a little bit of Cucumber and Python. Who is driving the the requirement for a? Because I'm I'm curious, like who it within the company was like forward forward thinking enough to to say we should have a security specific QA person on the team? Because that's not that. I mean, we we talk about it as like yeah, we're basically glorified QA, and we've talked about before like utilizing QA to do some security testing, but it's rare that you actually ever see anybody do that inside of an organization. So I'm curious where that requirement was being driven from. Yeah, yeah. and I think that uh, this was prior to me joining Pelocity. Uh, I think it was a result of a pen test where we realized, okay, like we are finding bugs and we need someone dedicated to do this. So. The, the mindset back in the day was anyone who's external is a pen tester. Anyone who we hire full-time is going to be the QA person who's going to work closely with the dev teams. And then you wanted a QA who is focused on security. And that's how, you know, like I ended up getting the job. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. I, right. Like, I mean, it actually speaks to how seriously they take security. If like, especially if they were doing that 2014, 2015, because that, I, I mean, 
that the whole sputter stuff that I did, Ken, and it was, you know, right about that same time frame as far as why don't we see more security in QA, right? That that's realistically was the question that we were trying to answer. So, you know, yeah, definitely you were ahead of the curve there. So yeah, it seems a little bit ahead of ahead of the times. Yeah, and I think uh, being the first QA person uh, who did security, it it definitely you know poses a lot of challenges because now you're bringing in terminologies like you know authorization checks, authentication checks, cross-site mm -hmm. scripting, OS top ten, dynamic scanning, static scanning, and you can go on and on with your apps with our appsec jargons. But it it, it was uh, difficult upfront, but like given how they take security like very 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 seriously, and this is something that I share that with everyone is that the best part and the worst part of my job is the same thing that I have like full support from the company and the leadership. Like we have, we absolutely have zero tolerance for risk and we need to do everything required to secure our applications and our customer data. And I mean, it's awesome. Like you do, always don't get that support, but at the same time, you know, the pressure is on me. Now I have everything I asked for, so I cannot mess it up. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I know that it's kind of like one of those things where when you, when you're like, well, you can make excuses like, oh, well, I'm understaffed or, you yeah. know, I, yeah, I don't have the budget that I need. You can kind of like, but when someone's like, oh, yeah, I don't know, like, you, we are going to give you everything you need to like do it perfectly, then it's like, oh, crap, I got to do it right. It's <laughs> <laughs> more pressure in a way. You can't blame anything away. You've got what you need, you know? Yeah. So. And I think the one reason, like just like you said, Ken, that we got a head start and we were like somewhat ahead of our times uh, when it comes to like application security. Uh, it gave us a chance to experiment a lot uh, with what we wanted to do. And like I also mentioned about our growth rate, like everything is changing at light speed every single day. Uh, you know, our frameworks are changing. Uh, our devs are changing. The code is constantly changing. We are deploying like at least you know 50 times faster than what we used to do before. And when you look at all the AppSec processes, like you cannot just rely on the pen test all the time. Yeah. So you have to shift left, uh, as they say in the industry, and you know need to have that DevSecOps mindset, uh, and and need to have that buy-in from the leadership to make sure that you know we are okay with this and this is the way we want to go. Yeah. So what are like some components of an AppSec program besides pen testing? Like, you know, what, what are some, some of the various things that you think need to be done activity wise? Yeah. So uh, like two years ago, uh, that's when, you know, I really started to scale my team. Uh, and my team is basically broken down to like two functions. One is the offensive security side, primarily focused on pen testing web applications. And the second part of it is the security engineering side, uh, where we automate static scanning, dynamic scanning, and uh, we are now working on a cool project to automate uh, business logic testing. So no more authorization check problems. <laughs> uh, and and I think once we started looking at this, one of the biggest gaps that we realized was that we don't speak the same language uh, as our product teams do. So there was a people and a training uh, component that we had to solve first. So we started rolling out, like we built custom in-house training for our QAs and devs specific to Paylocity. Like we tried commercial off-the-shelf training and that went like totally sideways, got like lots of critical <laughs> feedback. I was like, okay, no, no more purchasing, purchasing it from the vendor. And we literally, uh, whenever we find findings on our pen test, we record them and funnel that back into our uh, training program. 
So that's how if when we have a new dev or a QA giant velocity, you know, like they are aware of, you know, what we found previously and what not to do. Uh, yeah, I don't mean to like, well, I do. I don't care. Whatever. I don't mean to like, well, it's not, I don't mean this in a rude way, but yeah, those companies hawking CBTs that are SCORM compliant still. Like, they, I don't think they understand, like, if you've got, especially when you've got, I mean, regardless, developers are developers, right? So you've got, like, people that are competent at writing code, and then you throw this crap at them, and it's like, you know, you, that was your one shot to, to like, have, or at least your initial shot to have, like, a positive sort of interaction with a bunch of devs all at once. And if you don't get it right, oh. which I feel like if those, if you're doing, like, those those cheap basic CBTs, you're not going to get it right. Like you're going to, you're, I mean, they're like, Oh, here's the OWASP top 10 in a way that's like, what, you know, I mean, it's, it's not usually relevant. It's short. It's like, or a, even worse, it's lengthy and repetitive. Like it's just your one shot you've got, yeah. like, you can't screw that up. You, and I don't think that those vendors hawking that product have any appreciation for, what it's like internally on a team when you distribute that out to people and they hate it. It's you burned a bridge kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, that's one of the things that keeps me and my team, uh, you know, up at night is that we don't want to be doing anything where we lose credibility from our product teams because it's really, really hard to earn their respect. And, you know, it only takes like one mistake to burn the bridges. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's something people don't really talk about much. I maybe more so now, but like, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just like you have to get that interaction. Yeah. It's because you can have the the like, you know, beating with a stick sort of mentality, but that's not yeah. going to get you anywhere. So, well, and that that was one thing that actually came up. I can't remember one of the talks. That, like, I think it was the panel with Clint this week. Is uh, somebody mentioned the fact that I think it was Doug, but um, that. Of all the people that you're dealing with, all the developers, you can you can bet that every single one has had a ne negative experience in their past with security, right? So it's not just your relationship, like as a security person with them that you are dealing with. It's all that past baggage of the security guy at some organization that they used to be at that was just no, 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 you can't do that, yeah. Like, and so. Yeah, so so actually putting something out there that keeps your credibility or maintains it is way more important than, hey, we just need to push this compliance check through. So I know you're going to hate it, but all it does is re kind of reinforce that stereotype, right? Yeah, and and I think uh, it's I, I believe you know it's like on professionals like us to uh, go above and beyond and help the devs who have that mindset to change their mindset and and look at AppSec from a different point of view. And you know, this is something that we uh, very seriously practice at Pelocity and especially within our InfoSec team as a whole is that you know empathy begins with us. Mm -hmm. uh, we are we, we want to make sure that we are practicing empathy every single day because at the end of the day, the developers, although it's been the agile mindset, they still have a lot of things on their plate from like regular QA stuff, new features, bugs, performance stuff, security stuff, and they have very little wiggle room to do everything AppSec. So, mm -hmm. so, so the focus is around like, how do we empathize, you know, with what they have, and how do we create like some kind of automation where you know we are able to be a tailwind for them rather than being headwinds, and making sure that 
whatever we have with like dash and sash is all automated and move towards that devsecops mindset yeah yeah no i i mean that's a, that's a really good point right is that their their capacity to actually do something security related is is pretty limited with all the other pressures that are going on um i don't know it's uh, like if you want to learn empathy for developers go actually try and fix a security bug right like and what you're trying to do and how much time it takes and then how much testing be on top of that right like yep. oh okay like the, the whole back and forth that i know as security people you're like oh come on it's just insecure direct object reference you should be able to do this in like one line of code and you're like no this code code base is 20 years old yeah they're doing authorization checks in multiple places and the session isn't quite set up like that you know what i mean like there's always the yeah so like there's got to be some empathy there yeah uh, i struggle going the opposite direction now so for yeah. me, like, I don't know if you, if I, either of you experienced this, but for me, I actually struggle with like a lot of times now I've gone the complete opposite way where I'm like, eh, it's probably not that big of a deal. <laughs> I don't know. Is it worth fixing? <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> honestly like, because I think because of, like when you've seen enough things, you know, like what risks can exist and what things do pop up and what like a real like something feels like, oh, that's not super secure. But then like you start factoring, well, but this doesn't impact that. And like, this is for not even for external users. And then, you know, this doesn't allow first, first to even get there. You're behind this wall. And you're like, you start to get to that point where you're like, I don't know. It doesn't seem, I don't fix it when you feel like, I mean, I struggle with that sometimes. I'm like, I, I you know, get, get whenever you feel like that makes sense to fix sometimes but then i have to be like oh i'm a security person and like i have to yeah keep some some mm -hmm. line there but yeah I, I i don't know for me i've struggled and gone the other way after doing this for so long yeah that that is me when i look at the results from static scans <laughs> <laughs> it only took us a half hour to get to end up bagging on static scans that's it that's awesome <laughs> Yeah. I think one thing yeah. we did to gamify the whole program was uh, we came up with this whole concept of ninjas and champions. Uh, and and what we do is like we uh, have every product team uh, volunteer a dev to be a security champion and a QA person to be a security ninja. And uh, beyond the regular tra uh, AppSec training, they, they actually go out and uh, take the Pluralsight's uh, Burpsy training for like 300 minutes or so. So it's, I think it just like walks you through like what is Burpsuite, how to use Burpsuite, how to use the different modules and stuff like that. And once they complete that, we created a deliberately vulnerable application. It's a ripoff of a uh, damn vulnerable web app, but we, we kind of retained the payroll theme to make sense for our business. And they pent us that particular application. After they pen test the application, they turn in the results to the AppSec team, and then we certify them as ninjas and champions. And I think that whole gamification really worked in our favor. Uh, and we have like close to 500 members in our uh, engineering team. Uh, and our security satellite community today is like around like 100 people or so. And out of the 100 people, awesome. yeah. we have 60 people who are certified as champions and ninjas, meaning they can actually pen test. Does that part of their count like as part of their performance review or part of their job function? Because I've always wondered, I've been thinking more and more about this, about like um, when I ask for people to be like security minded in their teams, because we, we were 
constantly like trying to improve things. And I was thinking like as a direct result of this podcast and some of the conversations we've had, I mean, it kind of feels like it does make sense to maybe be that be part of their, their date. If it's going to be part of something that they're doing for their job, it should be part of like a, some sort of, plus one or something on the, the yeah. performance review or something, you know, I don't know if you guys do that. I don't know how that works. Yeah. So like, uh, in, in, uh, at our company, you know, like it is assumed that we build secure applications. So there, there wasn't a need to explicitly call that out. I honestly don't know like how that works from a performance standpoint, but it's assumed that, you know, like when, when, if you're a QA security, the subset of it means that you need to make sure that you are testing for like security bugs. But the problem that we found was like people wanted to do this kind of work, but they did not know how. Yeah. And and, and that is exactly where we thought, okay, we don't want to be looking at like CBD nuggets and stuff. Like how can we create like custom training and gamify this whole thing to, to get the engagement going? And this is like a purely on voluntary basis, no enforcements here. So having 60 pen testers is definitely helping us out. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, I, right? <laughs> yeah, just having 60 people in a 500 person organization that that know security issues, right, and can yep. speak intelligibly to them, like that's a huge bonus. Uh, like, I, I mean, most organizations, like, still to this day that we walk into, like, the guys have never they they, they have a hard time spelling XSS. You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> just you know X what now X X yeah oh yeah. So it yeah like like again it, it feels like you. you like the the org that you're at is definitely on the forefront of that. I don't know. I uh, what was that? I was talking to Justin Collins recently, and you know, one of the things that he talked about was uh, going back to kind of the empathy. Um, like he brought up that whenever somebody in his org comes to him and makes that like, you know, oh, oh, you're the security team, you're going to keep us safe from the bad guys, right? Like that's the <laughs> idea. But yeah. like he responds with, uh, no, no, that's your job, right? I'm here to help you, but it's your job to keep us safe. Like I can't do this by myself. Right? Yep. And that's kind of what you're, you've done is built out this, this team of people to help you or to help the company actually secure its assets. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly, you know, like it's an entire team effort definitely could not have been like one man army because uh, when we look at people in AppSec, like you need to have like variety of skill sets from being an expert at, you know, like reading code, understanding the code, uh, running dynamic, uh, configuring dynamic scanning tools, you know, running static scans, like so many multitudes of skill sets and everything has to come together. Uh, and it took us like, honestly, it took us like around like two years or so to get this whole thing up and running. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, two years doesn't feel like all that crazy to me, <laughs> right? I don't know. <laughs> I know you said two years is like a long time, but a big organization making some sort of change, but you know, with support from the top, I guess oh, yeah. that makes a big difference, right? Yeah, and I think uh, I actually tripled my team size in the last two years. Uh, we went from like three people in AppSec to like now eight and trying to hire two more. So. Uh, Definitely, like the, the leadership is like very conscious about you know making sure that we are consistently driving investments because they know like pen test worked really well back in the day uh, in the waterfall days where you deployed once or twice, but now when you're deploying like crazy number of times, like probably almost every other minute or so, uh, we we just need to hire more security engineers, automate as much as we can, and and 
provide tighter feedback loops to product teams because at the end of the day they are the ones who are going to fix this one and mm-hmm. and, and make sure that you know like with, when you are including all the automation you are presenting the results in uh, a very actionable fashion because you know i can print out a 700 page static scan report and you know leave it on the desk <laughs> <laughs> and that would be a terrible you can. Idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna go in the trash <laughs> yep yep <laughs> that'll be the next place it goes yeah and i think curse you under their breath it's really really hard to find like good people in appsec uh in terms of you know understanding a developer's world and trying and and you know working hand in hand with the qas and the devs on day-to-day basis yeah so if you're listening to this podcast and you think that you are the right fit, you should definitely reach out to Rohan. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you about that because I think that like, so Seth and I have done a lot of hiring over the years of various folks. And yeah, I think more often than not, we get folks that are like, I don't know, they, even if they understand code, it's like, it's just so attack focused and it's hard to find someone that's been on both ends of the spectrum. And I forget who I was talking to about this. It was, I, I was like, it's just a sheer numbers game. It's not because like, it's not because of, cause, cause uh, this was somebody outside of security. And I was like, you've got security, which is its own thing. And um, then you've got AppSec, which is a niche within a niche within security. And think about how many organizations there are just in the U S just, just take the US. Okay, great. So those people want their web applications to be secure, right? Like, yeah. So there's clearly clearly a huge disparity between people that can do this work and the amount of places that like are wanting to have people that can do this work. So just by a sheer numbers breakdown, it's just impossible to get. So then it's like, well, what do you do? I mean, I, I think I've definitely seen for one strategy that's worked is to have people that are not senior, but do have maybe like a comp side background and a security interest. And then just kind of like, I mean, for us, we've had several people at GitHub that were um, essentially interns and they, they were amazing. They, we've, we've hired the, you know, we all gave offers afterwards and they are amazing. They are amazing. They do fantastic work, but then like being able to find super senior people who know how to do the job, you know, that is a whole other thing. Like, I feel yeah. like that's a really difficult s- spot for most companies. Yeah. And, and, and now that I think of my team, like I have two people who have blue teaming background. I have two people who have, who come from the software development side and I have like two people who, who were traditionally born and raised in the AppSec world. So uh, yeah, I get like different viewpoints. Uh, on different things. And now that you said that, it all makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I've found it hard to find people that are, I've found it hard to find. That sounds funny. I've. <laughs> it's hard to find people that are just super senior um, in like decent numbers. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I feel like also like, this is another thing. I don't know, have we talked about this, Seth? I'm not sure if we have how like also super senior people tend to end up being more evangelists eventually. Like that seems to be the progression is that and then eventually they're just like, I don't do any of this work. I just talk about it. So it's like, you know, I mean, I was, I've, yeah, like I've definitely, yeah, you know, 
have seen that more than I've seen people that are like super senior and then want to stay like ICs, right? Just doing IC work and just being super technical and just doing the day to day. Yeah. The the other factor I also see here, Ken, is that like uh, if you are in an AppSec role or a security in general, you know, the, the consulting part of it is like more tempting, you know, maybe there's a financial aspect to it and, you know, you get to do like a variety of work. But once you settle down in a full-time role, you know, like you are kind of uh, logged with, you know, that particular organization and uh, it'll create a bubble around you. And a lot of people might not want to be in that bubble. Uh, so that could be one reason, you know, it's uh, somewhat difficult to hire full-time people like consultants. Yeah, it's a little bit more easier to find consultants in this role. I th- yeah, that's that's pretty fair. I mean, like, I, I, and I, but I, I will yeah. say financially, I do think, Sorry, Seth. I don't mean to I'd go you know for it. it is? I, I drink way too much caffeine and I'm like, I'm drinking these bangs and it's just making me super talkative anyway. So I was just going to say though, that like I have seen a financial shift where consultants now it's actually hard to pay them as much as some of the, the companies are like paying for blue team, not just salary wise, but all like, like, uh, I was just talking to somebody. I won't put their name out there who was like, Oh, should I take this job? it's a blue team role and it's $50,000 more salary. And it's like, they also pay a hundred percent for medical and dental and all that stuff. I'm like, well, is there like, yeah. Why are, I we, mean, why are we talking about this? Yeah. yeah. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. And you have, I like blue team cause you have some ownership over something over time, like versus just seeing somebody and going, there's pros and cons to both, but from a financial aspect, I've actually started to see a shift the opposite way. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just for my little world. I mean, part part of it is right. You're in a pretty progressive field, right? And uh, you know, um, well, okay. So we're a progressive field, but like the companies that you're working with are all pretty progressive on that end, and they're rec- they've recognized that to get the top talent, right, to pull people from the consulting world or wherever else, they've got to pay consulting rates um, or more, right? So Rohan, you're right. It's easier to be a consultant in this field and help people. Because I like from my perspective, I know those mid-sized businesses, they can't afford a you know, like paying an AppSec guy you know yeah. twice what they pay a, a, a QA engineer or a security guy. You know what I mean? Or a security yeah. engineer, they can't. And so, like it sucks for them, but at the same time, there's there's got to be a resource for them there. So it, you know like, what? It, You're right. We, our mutual friend was just talking about that, Seth. Yeah. About like how he's like, like, they're like, oh, it's so hard to find talent. But then they're like short them by tens of thousands of dollars in contrast to like what other people are willing to pay, like consultancies. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I mean, that's just it as a consultant. If you've got, you know, if you know how to use burp and you know, you don't have to be a senior guy to get hired on at a consulting firm and they'll throw you work all day long and they can pay you you know, usually a, a good bit more than, you know, what you could make internally at an org. So, uh, yeah, but, you know, I, but then I see the salaries coming out of, you know, from GitHub or Uber or whatever else. And I'm like, oh, that's comparable. But that's kind of the, the you know, the top tier of those companies. Yes. It's not necessarily the industry as a whole, right? Yep. Yep. So, and I think that that exactly the differentiator, like, you know, like the, the top 10% might be like, very attractive but when you look at the mean and the median you know it, it definitely tells you a different story there yeah. are you calling me an appsec elitist seth 
Yeah, you're, you're still kind of working in AppSec Wonderland, even if you, even if it's not as you know chill. So I feel like you're being blood. gentle and nice and trying to say is that I'm an AppSec elitist. So guys, I just realized that uh, I am wearing one of my ninja shirts. I don't know if you can oh, see great. my ninja shirt. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yep. Is this the swag you hand out to your uh, to the internal uh, developers yep. who are have passed the certification? Yeah, yeah. So we hand out shirts, we hand out like ninja hoodies and uh, mugs and certificates signed by our CISO. Hmm. Very oh, cool. crap! I've just forgot. I haven't mailed out any of the shirts I said I was going to mail out. Anyways. Way to go, Ken! <laughs> so you've got <laughs> so that's pretty cool. You've got like branded swag internally to also like sort of give people that are certified sort of like a differentiation. So like going back to the original question, you've got training security champions. You've got uh, clearly, cause you had mentioned a having like a, uh, like a devopsy scan result, a sort of like in the pipeline sort of uh, um, configuration. Um, and so was there anything I, I missed on that list so far? I, uh, there was one thing like uh, the QA, like the security testing, like the, those those tests right. that you're doing in there. Like, is that? It sounds like it's very bespoke, very custom to your apps. Is that is that the case? It's very, or is it some sort of generic process that you're doing? Yeah. So, uh, we what we tried to do was the problem that we ran into was like we couldn't create a specific kind of test case because you know every product every portfolio looks so different and yeah. through the training we wanted to create kind of a framework on like uh let's look at like what are the top vulnerabilities that we are finding so we call it the pillarity top four and then we we train our ninjas to find that kind of stuff within their own application so we're not necessarily telling them what the process should be but we're giving them the tools and uh, you know, having them create their own custom test cases. So letting them figure it out. That's yeah. yeah that's, that yeah. That's pretty. That's that's cool, right? Like that's um, yeah. I, I keep going back to the whole sputter thing and like all the you know test cases that Ken and I wrote at one point. How difficult that is. But if you know the application, it's not really all that difficult. If you're creating yeah. tests for hey, I you know I'm testing you know, log in to make sure that I can add users. It's really easy to test yeah. the negative of that, making sure that they kicked out and locked out as their proper, you know, stuff like that is, you know, fairly easy to yeah. do on the application. But if you don't, then you have to mock up a whole, like this is just like this whole thing. And so, yeah. Yeah, especially when you look at the sheer number of apps and microservices, uh, the most fun part. And, and you know, like uh, how, uh, how we are going more towards leaning more towards a cloud like it creates such a complex ecosystem like coming up with like common guidance for testing uh, it doesn't make sense in the very long run because it's going to be like so so very different yeah yep well yeah and that's it like it, it's bespoke right it's yeah. uh, there's no getting away from that it's it's got to be custom for the app if you're really going to find those vulnerabilities especially the business logic ones that you're talking about right you know yep. if it's that, that there's there's no way for you to to automate that or like uh, I mean an AI is never gonna well it's not gonna get there in the foreseeable future right maybe at some yeah. point yeah and I think that was something that we're trying to do internally more as an experiment is uh, we, when we look at the look at our APIs you know we're testing for like business logic vulnerabilities and IDOS and stuff like that like who can access what trying to, like vertical horizontal privilege escalations so we created uh, this product 
internal product called like Arth Matrix, and the name uh-huh. was actually inspired by a Burp plugin called Arth Matrix. And because we used to use that, you know, we just, just the, the the term that's just stuck to us. <laughs> uh, and we we realized that you know, close to sixty to seventy percent of our pen test is looking for you know business logic vulnerabilities and trying to escalate privileges and trying to move laterally within applications or jump different applications. Like how about we try to automate that piece? So if we if we succeed in doing that, then the day one of the pen test will be okay. In the first two or three hours, you're going to review your DAS results, your SAS results, and your results from your business logic testing. And then you can start focusing on the more advanced attacks and start thinking about like, you know, can we focus on uh, the functionality where we have had like most code churn? Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think we don't, I don't know. I, knowing as a consultant coming into testing, right? Like I spend so much time on those, like the, the easy to find vulnerabilities that I know that had they run Burp Suite or that they, you know, something else, they would have found it, right? It's really hard to get excited about SQL injection anymore. I'm <laughs> yeah. going to be honest or cross-site scripting because I, you, once you've seen so much of it, it's just like, come on guys, this is a solved problem, right? I realize it's new to you, but had you done just a small modicum of research or you know, put a little bit of effort into it, you would have realized, oh, I need to use this when I'm building out this application as opposed to writing, you know, SQL statements by hand. So, yeah. I am the absolute elitist. Yeah, I am. Yeah. SQL I doesn't get me going. <laughs> XSS blah, doesn't blah. do it for me. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Whatever, Ken, we've talked about this before. So. No, no, it definitely is more fun to like chain together several things and use business logic or just like, you know, some logic flaw in general. Super, that's far more fun. But like, yeah, XSS is. Yeah, Whatever. I think can like going back to your previous comment around like you know if you might think like something might not be exploitable or it's not worth fixing, uh, and if you, you, there's a gray area between a low risk and theoretical risk, and you know once we start doing advanced pen testing, I think that is where we'll end up with most of the times because now you're going to find like stuff like which would really not matter, but when you start chaining attacks, when you look at like different results, I think. You might think, okay, you know, like it might go from a low to a critical in no time. <laughs> yeah, we started uh, like recently at work, we started labeling those as defense in depth. So like, for instance, I'm trying to think of like a good example, but um, I don't know, let's say some, some, I don't know, there's uh, something that's sort of like some function sitting in front of another function. And it's like, if there's one thing that changes in that function, then like the whole thing falls down authorization wise or something. I don't know. Just trying to make up an example. This stuff happens all the time. Um, that's something we started calling defense. So like, it's like not a low risks necessarily. It's just like, you should harden this mm-hmm. and, and like, yeah. So that there's something doesn't happen down the line. I don't yep. know. It's a little abstract, but yeah, defense in depth. That's what we started calling it. Cool. That that's good to know. Yeah. No. So, are you doing like? Uh, how are you scoring? One thing, like I'm trying to figure out, uh, is a to like a really good way. And and Seth had brought up a couple of episodes back, Listo, which I've started playing around with to do like risk scoring. But I'm always curious, like what people do to basically figure out where to prioritize their efforts. Yep. 
Um, obviously if you got 2000 apps and you've got eight people like, yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah. So we actually build this, uh, risk calculator internally. And, you know, like this was inspired from the OS risk rating calculator. What we tried to do was we tried to customize it to uh, make it more applicable to Pilosity's context. Uh, for example, you know, when we are looking at the payroll applications, we would try to see like what the motive could be, uh, for an, from an adversarial standpoint, like if someone just trying to have fun or are trying to redirect funds, <laughs> uh, yeah. like what kind of uh, information are you exposing? PII, PHI, public information, non-public financial information. Uh, so that plays into the entire risk coding process. Uh, two things that we literally copied off from that was ease of discovery and ease of exploitation. Like we added some commentary around it, like can a script query discover this easily? Is this something that you're going to manipulate your URL and find things out? Or are you going to manipulate the DOM elements and find things out? Or do you have to perform four or five different steps or actions to get to a certain point to exploit this vulnerability that would, again, lower the likelihood of it being exploited? So we have like eight criterias, like four between uh, likelihood and impact each. And then we start scoring from there. So, but like in terms of prioritizing your assets though, like is that? Yeah, so we actually have a process to uh, rate our assets. Uh, we usually go with like C1, C2 and C3 ratings for all assets, like C1 being the most business critical ones, C2 medium, uh, C2 is high and C3 is low. C3 is medium, sorry, nothing is low. <laughs> so oh, okay. yeah, and, and uh, our aim is to like focus more on the C1 apps because they are business critical. Uh, we, so we give some uh, extra hugs and show some extra love for those apps. And so those are like, is it like consumer facing? They handle payments. Yeah. Uh, so in the calculation process, I, uh, I'm trying to remember like what factors do we uh, consider in there? So one is, yeah, is this external facing, internal facing? Uh, is this application being actively managed or not? Is this legacy application or not? Uh, does this handle PII, PHI, uh, or any banking information, regulated information? Are there any compliance obligations for this particular application? Uh, we also look at the uh, scope of the users, like how uh, how many users actively use this particular application. I mean, like it could be a really important application, but only like 10 people use it. Then <laughs> probably won't care a whole lot about that. <laughs> so like all of these go into determining if this should be a C1, C2, or a C3. I like the idea of using the like the 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 metric you mentioned of like is it actively maintained? Um, man, that's like a super. I feel like that is a super important one because yeah. especially when you do find something and then like it goes to the like you, you try to triage it and then there's just nobody working on the app and they're like yeah we 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 wrote the app and we walked away <laughs> and I the think, business put us somewhere else doing other stuff yeah. so it sits out there but like. No one wants us to work on it, so yeah, yeah. Two important uh, other considerations we funnel in is like integrations with the mobile ecosystem and uh, integrations with third parties. Because you know your app might not be uh, insecure inherently, but when you integrate with someone else, <laughs> uh, shit could go sideways real quick. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's always a yeah. That's a good. That's a good description of it, right? You know. <laughs> Like yeah, because you're today. like, you, you yeah. never know what you're accepting like, or, yep. yeah. I mean, we have a hard policy with like not allowing third party JavaScript for that exact reason. 
like on .com. Like you, we, yeah, because like it's, yeah, I'm not going to rely on somebody else's security. Yep. I mean, even when I worked at Living Social, the CTO, uh, what was his name? Uh, Aaron something. Aaron, I forget. I think it was Aaron Battalion. Aaron Battalion. Man, he would not, he was the same way. He like wouldn't, he didn't want third party JavaScript in his application for the same reason. Cause anytime you have to rely on somebody else's app, it's like, even, I mean, you're probably talking more like API specific type stuff or whatever, but yeah, this is just any third party code was suspect and considered basically tainted sources of data. Yeah. And CSP wasn't a, really a thing at that time. So yeah, it was like, no, not getting in. <laughs> Those are cool metrics though. That's really like yeah. really interesting stuff to like sort of draw upon. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, again, it feels like you guys are, are, are pretty uh, innovative, right? Like you, you've definitely got this kind of figured out as far as like how it works for your organization. Um, so it's, it, it's really like for us, it's, it's satisfying to talk to someone that's actually like running it in that way, yeah. right? Because we talk to a lot of people, they're like, oh, we're thinking about starting a security champions program, right? And we're like, okay, well, what does that look like? Like you, you've you got like an actual process in place for, hey, guess what? We go train them on Burp Suite. We've got, we're using Pluralsight. We're using these different resources to plug in. So it, it yeah, it's satisfying to see it actually be effective. And, you know, in reducing that risk, reducing those vulnerabilities, because um, I, I realistically, that's what we need. So yeah, yeah. I think uh, a large part of credit, like, actually goes back to uh, the leadership here, and and the culture that we have here is like more entrepreneurial. Like, although we have like enterprise goals, uh, it, it is expected that you innovate. It's expected that you fail. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, that's really helpful from an appsec standpoint because you know. Uh, everything is almost like an experiment when you start working with your static or dynamic scanning tools or whichever tool you, you are going to use. Uh, and there is no like silver bullet to securing your applications. So you can't help but innovate. <laughs> what, whatever, it's a WAF, I know it. They told me <laughs> that like five years ago, a WAF was the only way. So yeah. that's, that's what I've been recommending. <laughs> Rohan, what are you doing? You're destroying my like pristine view of the world over here. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but okay. So on another note, speaking of vulnerabilities, we didn't get to the uh, the news article that Ken wanted to bring up that he was so. Uh, oh yeah, I mean we can talk about it if you guys want. I just I thought I was an interesting. Let me paste the news. This was uh, this was the original article, and then hold on, let me find the Forbes article. I put it here somewhere earlier. Uh, yeah, no, so basic gist was somebody wasn't happy with the way that their PayPal vulnerabilities, the vulnerability, let me back up. PayPal changed their program to use, um, okay, here's the Forbes article um, that was about the original article. Anyway, so PayPal had moved their platform to HackerOne and this uh, cyber news person or group um, had uh, submitted some vulnerabilities through the new Hacker One program and felt like the new Hacker One program was to blame for a lack of transparency and for um, their vulnerabilities not being taken seriously. And at least that was one part of it. There were multiple angles to this. Um, there were the title is hilarious because it says we found six critical PayPal vulnerabilities. 
and PayPal punished us. All right. So there, let's just talk about what the punishment was. So their reputation took a hit on hacker one. Having been through a bug bounty program and being a blue teamer and reading these, these vulnerabilities, um, they're not critical period. I mean, they're not one of them. For example, was, um, Let's see. It said, I'm just doing this from memory, by the way. I'm not even looking at the links. The one that stood out was that they were able to change the full name of the profile. So one semi-anti sort of like uh, fraud detection things is that like you um, can only change one or two characters of your profile name at a time. And they found that if they just keep, they, if they just basically kept doing that, they could eventually change all characters of the name. Not critical. So to explain that, and I'm sure Rohan, you have a similar team. We have a team that's dedicated to spammy behavior. That definitely falls under, if you were to submit that to our bug bunny program, a spammy behavior that is handled by that team. And like, if there are going to be multiple metrics that they take into consideration besides just changing the full name. And that's how we're going to do some detection. I'm not going to disclose all the things we use on the back end to, to detect spammy behavior, but that certainly is not a critical vulnerability. You know what a critical vulnerability is? A critical vulnerability is like a remote code execution, command injection. You've got shell on our boxes. That's critical. Changing the full name of a freaking profile is not critical. Secondly, and sorry, I'm very opinionated about this because it burned me up because I deal with bug bounty stuff every week, multiple days a week. So the other one, the big thing, the one that Forbes picked up on was a two-factor authentication bypass. Once again, incorrect. That was not two-factor authentication. It is a, we detected you logging in from a different IP, answer an additional question. That is not two-factor authentication. And if you knew more about security, you'd know that. And I don't mean to be a jerk about this, but I feel like I'm going to take big business aside on this one on PayPal reading this article. It got me fired up. I read it last night because my, uh, well, somebody posted it. Uh, I don't know if he wants me to say if he posted it or not, but I'm just going to say somebody and I read it and I was like, Ooh, this gets, this gets me hot. This gets me steamed. Anyways, that's my hot take. I'd like to hear y'all's. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the article right now. Right. Um, I, I mean, yeah, there's six, like, you know, some of those seem like a couple of them are like XSS issues. Right. And again, we, we know how I feel about XSS. <laughs> um, the full name change, like their, their whole thing was, well, you won't be able to recover your account because they've changed the name on it. And I'm like, uh, if that's the only thing that you have that separates one account from another, I mean, you know, PayPal isn't tied to anything that's like, you know, uh, business or like financial related that you could key back to. It just seems like, uh, no, yeah, you're, you're right. Like that, you know, it's definitely not critical, right? Um, the, the 2FA one, I'm trying to understand exactly how their, or, you know, their auth flow, whatever, um, how they're determining what that exactly is. Well, part of the problem is you don't actually get the details of the the bypass because they're like, well, we can't do that. Um, 
So it's oh, like since, since the vulnerability hasn't been patched, we can't go into detail on how it was done. Okay, yeah. but yeah, but write an article about it. That's cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Like Charles Proxy. Well, you know that they're like advanced if they're using Charles. Sorry, yeah, Charles Proxy. So, I, I, Rohan is at, like, have you been using bug bounties there? Um, uh, no. no. Uh, so I have participated in bug bounty myself, but you know we haven't uh, ever done a bug bounty, and I don't know if you're ever going to do it or not. Like, this is like my personal thing. Uh, I, I am a big fan of bug bounties as a researcher. But if I were a company trying to sign up with bug bounties, uh, I don't know how comfortable I would be to open up my apps to the entire uh, security researcher community. Uh, <laughs> and it's, again, like this, there's no, it's not about being like right or wrong with this one. It's just a point of view I have. Uh, I've seen stuff uh, participating at the bug bounties. Uh, stuff when you report something as a duplicate finding, you know, Reaches is getting pissed off posting stuff in public forums. <laughs> yeah, and happens to us all the time. Well, and yeah. you, there's no control, right? There's no control. Uh, you cannot restrict someone from uh, posting things anonymously across the internet. Well, and often, like for us, they want to be added to the report, right? But the report has information about the other researcher, and it's not fair to that other researcher to disclose their email address, their profile names, the stuff that they like. Like, that's not fair. So we don't do that. We don't say like, like internally, we'll link to the duplicate, but we're not going to share. And this is part of, sorry, backing up. This is like why they, what you're saying, they, they echoed in this sort of this article, which is like, well, they're saying that these, like the XSS thing, yes, it was XSS, but they said, Somebody already found it. And yeah. they also said it's super suspect because the day they reported it, it was fixed. And I'm not going to say that doesn't feel suspect. Absolutely. I, I get that. But at the same time, there have, I swear this has happened to me before where I've marked, I'm like, Hey, somebody already reported this. And yes, the day of it was fixed. It was a coincidence. Coincidence happened. Coincidence happened. And also sometimes if it's fixed, it's because you reported it and like, somebody's already got this in the, like it was, how do I say this? Like the window of when the in, the vulnerability was introduced and the window to when it's fixed is so short that when two people find it in the same window of time, it's like, yeah, well, it's going to be, yeah. If you're like within a, this four or five day time box. Yeah. Like it's, it's going to seem weird and coincidental, but it's going to happen. And it's like, I get why the researchers, if you haven't, especially if you haven't worked on the other side of triaging bug bounties, I get why they're like, sort of annoyed, but at the same time, or feel like they're getting cheated, but at the same time, and I don't know what the best fix is for that. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's kind of hard. There is a bit of a lack of transparency just because some of these things you, you, you do have to, yeah. Yeah. What I personally encountered was like, you know, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't name which platform, but, uh, one of the bug bounty, uh, the, the crowdsource, uh, pen testing platform, what they do is, uh, they have a private bug bounty for the top 50 or 100 researchers, right? And like these people are ridiculously smart people. You know, they have everything automated. You know, the bounty opens up. First hour, you'll get like crap ton of findings. That's it. That is the end of it. Like you're going to find the most of it in the first hour when your like, top 100 researchers are going to attack your application. When you're opening it up to the broader crowd, there's not much to find. So most of it is going to be 
like duplicate findings and that's where like the bigger crowd is going to get pissed off <laughs> like hey you know yeah. i'm trying to find everything that's a duplicate finding how can this be <laughs> yeah well, that's a good good point yeah yeah and i mean it goes along with like the events that get run too right because they invite the you know i mean can you've been you, you know that right like you invite those top guys to come in and look at the apps and they get paid out and you know yay right like I, yeah but as it you know I'm sure as somebody sitting on the periphery that's, you know, trying with the public ones to get to that level, it's going to take quite a while mm -hmm. because they don't have the same chance at that stuff. Right. And so I, like, I can, I can understand being frustrated and being like, Hey guys, right. Like, you know, I, I could be up there, but yep, yeah. All, all that well, stuff. Yeah. The way you yeah, the other it. thing too, is we haven't talked about is like, we do reviews internally as a team too. Like I've got, I've got code I look at. I mean, I'm on assessment right now. I'm doing code reviews in the middle of bug bounty stuff, in the middle of internal process improvements, triaging things. Yeah. Responding to pings on architecture design discussions. I got a lot of things going on, right? But yeah. doesn't mean we don't still do reviews. <laughs> and so when sometimes when we say it's duplicate, we don't mean that some other researcher found it. You mean that we found it? Like okay, I yeah. can't link you to my report because my report's my report. You can't see <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you're like, you know, sometimes you, it is a bit of a trust thing, and I totally get that. And I, I do feel like here's here's the thing though. They NA'd, they NA'd one of these findings, and like I don't know all the details. Maybe they NA'd because the researcher got sort of like, you know, sometimes you get people that are a little. Uh, aggressive we'll say and sometimes you lock threads because of that sometimes you na and lock threads and i know one of the things said it locked threads and i know i saw another thing where they said they got na for us um we try actually really not because it does cost you reputation we actually try very hard not to na things when we na things it's like very obvious spam or it's very obvious like you buy because you can set up specifically through Hacker One, you can set up filters that say like you've triggered on these keywords, and when sometimes you and and it'll tell you we showed the researcher these several like triggers, filters, warnings, and that person has not only bypassed all those filters and warnings, but they've also completely ignored what's on our bounty uh, bounty site. And even then, sometimes it doesn't get an aid. It's just sort of like, you know, it's like, uh, but yeah, those it's very hard to get an aid on our side even still going a bit further, we've tried to implement a system where if it makes sense, we give the person time to self-close the vulnerability because on hacker one, if you can self-close, then like you, you don't take a reputation hit. So maybe it's like, Oh, you know what? This is, I get why you're submitting this and here's some mitigating factors, why it's not, you know, going to get paid out or whatever. But like, so you can do things to, to, to try and like, foster a good relationship with your researchers and i don't feel like NAing things is like maybe that but again i don't know what the, the details of what happened but i think you should be very careful with with the the not applicable uh rating on hacker one yeah uh, well the other okay so the other thing that i've got uh heartburn with on this article is why is it that cyber news is testing paypal apps right and running through bug bounties right like i I'm trying to figure out where what this relationship is that they have with their analysts. Um, yes, because it like that feels like, oh, it was 
like maybe there's a journalist there that knows somebody that does bug bounty stuff and that they wanted to use that platform to actually push this out. But it does feel a little weird, right? That that's where this is getting pushed up. Um, yeah. But yeah. And they accuse them of having ulterior motives to get the bounties for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm understanding this correctly, because they're using hacker one to do first line triage, it's hacker on is- the hacker one employees, or it's likely that the hacker one employees themselves are going to steal the bug and then submit it to that program. Is that what we're insinuating? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, It seems to be. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you know, I think we, Oh, that's not the case, but w- whatever, right? So, anyway, that, yeah, you're right. That was super, super interesting article. There, there's a lot of different aspects to it. We'll see if it there goes are. any further, and we can follow up on it. Um, Rohan, we have been going for an hour, like over an hour though, so we want to make sure to be sensitive to your time and you know, everything else that we got going on. Um, is there like I, I know, like we were talking before, that you're not very active on social media. Is there any place if people wanted to meet you or talk about, you know, QA security testing? Uh, uh, is there some place that they could meet you, or that yeah. you'll be in the future? Yeah, I think uh, I know I'm fairly uh, active in a read-only fashion on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. uh, but yeah, I think that's probably one of the best places to reach out to me. And again, okay. like uh, I, you probably have my email address as well, right? Well, yeah, I'm sure we do, but I'm just okay. saying, like, if any of our <laughs> listeners want to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, LinkedIn would probably be the best way to reach. Okay. Yep. We'll, we'll link the, uh, your profile from uh, the the page when the episode goes up as well so people can find you. Cool. Uh, but and we appreciate you coming on and your insight uh, to hear about the program over there, uh, especially that you're doing, like, security unit testing or, you know, security QA testing. That makes me pretty happy. Uh, and yeah, but um, hopefully things keep going well. Keep a surprise of what's going on. And yep, for coming on. Uh, and uh, thank you for having me. Uh, definitely it was a pleasure being here. Yeah. Ken, anything else before we wrap it for today? No, just appreciate the viewers listening and for you, Rohan, for coming on and joining us. Yep. Thank All you. All right. Thanks, yep. everybody. <laughs>